Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is The Backstory with Immobola Steven. It's a balanced, objective, unbiased, and disruptive conversation on government and politics. We shine more light on what has not worked and what would make it work. And now, to the finest personable and engaging host extraordinaire, Omobala Steven. Tune in. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. Good to have you on the show. This is Omobola Steven. You're also on the backstory with Omobola Steven. Now, on the backstory, we like to focus on what has now worked and what will make it work, focusing on government and politics with expert and professionals who are getting these topics. Today, I have Daryl Constantine, who is the new uh, conservative voice for American and also running for president in the United States in the 2024. Well, on with me on the show today, Daryl Constantine. Uh, Omabola, and I know my pronunciation is probably really funny on that, but thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Really, really excited. Really excited. Thank you for joining me on the show. Now, um, Daniel, as a Republican, you have spent much of your life contemplating the major issues confronting the United States. And after much deliberation and prayer, you have created a unique um, solutions-oriented platform to get the country back on track. Now let's get to um, the brass tacks. Now, for the sake of the audience of the backstory to Mobile Steven, I would like you to share a bit of your background to my audience. Sure. Well, this will be quick. It's not really that interesting. I'm just kind of a normal American kid. I grew up in some rough neighborhoods in New York and Boston. And uh, my 20s was fortunate enough to have some success in sales, which I leveraged over to business and generated my own. Uh, commercial real estate company and subsequent business. And I've had success with that to the point where it's given me the opportunity to step forward with, as you said, my unique solutions oriented platform. So um, been sort of a work in progress. And I think like a lot of people in my country grew up in some asymmetrical environments. So there's not a lot of uniformity in this country anymore. And I had an opportunity from that to examine some of the things that maybe worked in the past and to examine some of the things that maybe aren't working so good now. And really the most important thing that happened in my life was somewhere along the lines, I sort of reconnected with faith and the importance of that 
I just reconnected with the Orthodox Church. That's the uh, the sect of Christianity that's in my family, my blood, and uh, was baptized as an adult, and that was a very powerful and moving experience. And you know, I've come to know that all of the successes that I've had in my life, the appropriate term for these are blessings, and I know that these come from God. So, so I'm very appreciative of that, and simultaneously. Uh, cognizant of the fact that, hey, if I get off track, you know, I know we're, I know what it looks like to do the opposite because I wasn't raised in necessarily a Christian household like many Americans. My parents were divorced and there was a lot of back and forth and kind of undercut the, the collective ability of the family to generate wealth and success, comfort and security. So I know what that dysfunction looks like. And that's no disrespect to my parents. I love them both both, you know, really great, excellent people and both helped me in a, in a lot of different ways. But just as a general, uh, as a general representative of my generation, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of broken families and chaos and confusion and kind of looking at that and going, okay, that doesn't work so good. And so, so a lot of people I think are naturally gravitating back towards things that work going back to basics. And I think that I'm a representative of that, but I know that that also speaks to a lot of people in my generation and also the younger generations as well, looking at, okay, that didn't maybe work so good. We tried to do this, everybody going our own ways. I think there's an appetite to just go back to what's basic, go back to what's normal. And, you know, that type of approach really is very disruptive to the political environment because believe it or not, this sort of appeals to both sides of the aisle. And what I've tried to do always, and this is something that I got from my father who, you know, we don't necessarily agree upon everything. He is to his credit. He is a very independent thinker. And one thing about him that, that I was always very proud of. So, you know, he's, kind of conservative minded. Uh, so that certainly informed maybe the direction that I started with. But the war in Iraq, I always remember from day one, he was opposed to that. And at the time, it was a very much, hey, if you're not in favor of this, you're not patriotic. And that always stood out to me of an example of just, okay, stepping back from whatever the propaganda machine is telling you, and always issue by issue, having your own opinions and really taking the time to examine and cultivate opinions. So when I do that issue by issue, what I've found is that while in my core, I certainly will define myself as conservative, there's a lot of things on my platform that are actually very progressive. And when you do that issue by issue, when you unplug from the various propaganda apparatuses that you're attached to, you get something very different and very new. And I think that there's a lot of potential there because there is this stagnation that we have here. So in the United States, we have obviously the two-party system. And that in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but where we have right now, we have two parties that are very much entrenched on a certain set of uh, ideas, a certain uh, number of policies that they're very much entrenched in. There's actually no dialogue going on between the two parties. It's really just a tug of war. And we're seeing kind of the ugliness of democracy, the kind of the worst aspects of it are being brought out by this. Because democracy, is some things about it that are very good. But what it reduces to now, it almost feels like it's the, the will of the majority imposing themselves on the minority. And when I say majority and minority, I'm not speaking in terms of demographics. I'm speaking electorally. 
in principle, 51% of the country uh, controls you know, the other 49%. Certainly, I think the right feels that a lot because the left uh, is more willing to flex their muscle and utilize the various levers of power that they have to implement that. But this is a really toxic dynamic. And there's a lot of things going on. In there. I was just at CPAC a couple of weeks ago. Very toxic environment. Very concerned about uh, the direction that the party is going. And I can almost say that I'm sort of running to save the Republican Party from itself. Because, uh, you know, Donald Trump losing the prior election, Donald Trump not uh, acknowledging that, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of opportunity to learn and grow and defeat. I mean, winning is great. Winning is definitely what you want to do, but sometimes in those defeats, there's valuable lessons. And I think that he's done a great disservice to his base by refusing to allow them to actually recognize the reality that he did, in fact, lose the election. And this is not to give the Democrats a pass on whatever aspects, crony aspects occurred uh, on the polling stations on the day of the election. But the bottom line here is that, you know, he did receive something like eight million less votes. And that is actually statistically in line with the expansion of the parties and the population. That number has sort of uh, been expanding. And there's a reality check that Republicans need to be able to, we need to look in the mirror and recognize that, you know, there are less people that are naturally under that conservative camp right now than are under the Democratic camp. And, you know, these trends are continuing. And so now there's this sort of disconnect from reality. And I was there at CPAC and it's like, a, it's like a continuation of the victory lap from 2020. And they're just, you know, we won in 2016, we won in 2020, we're gonna win in 2024. And no, you actually lost in 2020. And so what we're setting up to do is we're setting up to go back with the same person and the same strategy, the same approach, likely outcome is gonna be an even bigger defeat perhaps to a bigger deficit, maybe not so much because during COVID we had the mail-in ballots as a factor, but you know this is a problem because his base uh, does not believe now in the democratic system. So we have a very vicious cycle that leads to an ugly place. So I wanna pump the brakes on this whole democracy isn't working. And you know my answer is we need to win harder. We need to win much harder and not just plan on getting lucky in the rust belt and really threading the needle there, we've got to create a type of platform that's you know, going to create a new American majority, not just winning the electoral college necessarily, but that we need to set that as our goal. So, so that's kind of as, as president or as Republican candidate, I'm looking for a big victory. I want to create the type of new consensus, the new majority coalition that is going to enable us to expand and sort of grow into a new future, chartering a new trajectory for, again, a new American future. I think I probably, I probably ambushed that question and went off in a stump speech direction, but uh, I, hope, I hope I sufficiently told you enough about myself. <laughs> oh, right. right, and now uh, while you uh, introduced yourself, you um, talked about your background as a question. Now, that will, one of your manifestations that you want to make America Christian again. Now, what the heck are you talking about? Because you and I knew that um, America was founded on uh, religious freedom. Can we talk a bit? Yeah, well, you know, it's a very good question. Um, and I do think it's important because a lot of things that I'm proposing people actually don't understand that these things were perfectly normal. So like Bible study in schools, we, we had this in the country 
until 1962 and or 63, I believe. And yeah, ironically, this is kind of a very similar time with when the country started splintering and fragmenting. So I think the concept of religious liberty, religious freedom has been kind of raised up as like, this is the fundamental premise of the country. And yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that certainly, I think that the founding fathers were thinking in terms of denominational. I think that they were looking at, you know, they had a certain denomination of Christianity and they wanted separation and freedom to express that. So I certainly would think that from the get-go, the concept wasn't that the country would be having, you know, all of these other different religions in the country. Um, but that doesn't, by the way, necessarily mean that that's a bad thing. But I, I like to start that conversation with, okay, what were the founding fathers really thinking about? And I think now where we have a sort of left-wing secular perspective that almost functions like a Luciferian religion in and of itself, because it's really what we're dealing with. We're dealing with values that are just diametrically opposed to natural law. Natural law, things that people of all faith backgrounds sort of understand. So I think certainly if we were to like sort of point them, give them like a magic telescope into the future, and they would see that in a state like California in the year 2020, you'd have you know, drag queen storybook hour being constitutionally protected um, and actually Bibles being held away from children. That clearly would demonstrate to them a disconnect. So I would start by saying that they maybe would alter things and maybe add some other amendments or some different stuff into the equation. Um, but I do think the concept of religious liberty is valid and meaningful. And I do think that uh, it is okay. So I'm not like not down with, oh, this religion, that religion, keep them out. My experience with people around the world is that actually there is a lot of similarity in the value system. If you look at the Abrahamic religions, so we're talking Christianity, Judaism, Islam, really all three of us are dealing with the issue of sin. And, you know, I, the Christian answer that I believe in and believe very passionately in is the concept of grace from Jesus Christ. Uh, installing that and this is a reason because Western civilization is, is built upon Christianity. It's built upon Christianity, the Greco-Roman legal system, a few other things. It is actually capable of absorbing other religions into it because it is inherently the most tolerant of Abrahamic religions. And I think, you know, other religions, maybe we don't use the term sin. We use words like suffering and compassion and kind of in this framework, but we know what these things are. And we know what sin is. Sin is sin is is something that is deeply destructive by nature. And in kind of an old world mindset, it it does almost require the punishment of death. You know, and I think Western civilization, grace, the concept that you know we don't need to live that way anymore. We've lost track of what a blessing that is because we've almost kind of used it as a way to actually elevate sin. And that's absolutely not what we're about. But, you know, I get this question a lot of like, how do you think Islamic people or Jewish people, how are they going to feel? Well, you know, first off, I'm mostly concerned about speaking to the 73% of Americans that identify as Christian. Um, but secondary, my experience is just being a traveled person and having friends of all different backgrounds of faith is that we're right in line on this stuff. So, you know, I'm not afraid of having a referendum on protecting children from, you know, LBGT propaganda. And the idea that that would somehow uh, scare 
Islamic voters from me, I sort of I push back on that because I think that the sooner that we get to that point, I think anybody that has a, a value system that's rooted in natural law, rooted in good versus evil, we draw that line in the sand and we say, pick, you know, you're, you're either in favor of this or you're against it. Come with me if you're against it. They're going to come with us. The difference is, is that if we're an Islamic country, the solution is to throw people off of buildings. United States, we're just saying, let's put up some laws and reestablish some normal boundaries to protect our children from lifestyles that we know are not in their best interest. All right. Now, um, Dario, um, the education reform um, movement that started with George W. Um, put no child left behind law since that. Now, what went wrong? Now, also, um, part of your campaign manifest, uh, manifesto is to address academic reform and also gender inequality. How do you hope to achieve this? Yeah, so academic reform for me is a, it's a big topic. So first and foremost, and I, I think I'm glad now that the Republican Party is sort of catching up to me rhetoric wise. First and foremost, we've got to put an end to this promoting this stuff on children. I think everybody recognizes that's fundamentally wrong. And it's actually an act of sexual abuse of minors. It's how it is. And I've said that from day one. And, and that's how my Department of Justice will define it. and We'll prosecute it accordingly. Now, we do have a diversity of thought in this country. We have different judges, different interpretations. But that's my interpretation. So as president, I'm going to set that direction to the American people. And we're going to be going in that direction. And there is going to be a lot of conflict that results out of that. So that issue, I think, I think we're sort of all catching up on that. So let's put that to the side. Let's talk about more positive things. So I want to make a, uh, a more healthy environment. I want for the school day kind of to be this um, maybe expanded out to like eight hours or so, but we're going to actually split the time in half because one of the things that has occurred that I think is very disturbing is that we have uh, really robbed men and women of their natural roles in society, which is generally speaking, in most cases, what gives them the most pleasure. And so we're going to have kind of some shared time where we're on the essentials, arithmetic, literature, but we're also going to break it apart. And we're going to have certain sections that are devoted to separate time with each other. So one thing that to me is very concerning is I see a lot of young men uh, coming up on the conservative side and they are very against sports, you know, and they get in, they're going in this very radical direction and they're getting into like militias and all this sort of revolutionary stuff. And they're also kind of afraid to go throw a football to their neighbor. So all young men have to be playing some form of sport. You don't have to be the star of the team, but you got to be engaging in that somewhat. And to a certain degree, there's an opt out and we're not going to make it extremely difficult for children to opt out of that, but we need to make that the understood norm. So it's never going to be, I don't want any young boy to feel like, oh, I've got to, I've got to pick if I want to have, you know, two hours more to sleep after school or to play sports. So we're going to just make that the standard. We're going to just put boys travel uh, in and of itself. We're going to allocate a certain amount of time for that. And, you know, at the same time, there'll be some stuff for young women that'll be enriching for themselves, but it's important to give boys and girls their own space. And that's one of the things that's very toxic about the blending. And we lose track of this stuff on these concepts. We, we, we lose track of just basic ideas. Like why do we have locker rooms to begin with? And the reason why we have locker rooms is to give boys and girls their space. 
And we need to go back to that. We have to put Bible study back in school to give that basic foundation of ethics, values, and morality. And I think make some allocations or allowances rather for people of other faiths to participate in something direct with their faith during that time. But that is essential, instilling that moral fabric. And I think that we can do that and kind of Christianity will be the natural tempo. So that'll be your sort of main line, your mainstream. But we'll certainly we'll make allowance, as I said, for people of all faiths to set aside for that time. And uh, that's going to be very essential as well. So we want to go back to instilling values. And it's kind of I, I think that it's it's a false statement to think that you can kind of just pull back a national moral tempo and get left with nothing because eventually you're going to have somebody that's going to come in and impose something. And we've had, I think, a, a new value system that has been very slowly but forcefully enforced on the country. And it's actually going in like the exact opposite direction. So we got to not only repeal that, but then actually just put back in place what we had before. So there's that, that, that word again. So make America Christian again. Seems like I'm doing this big radical new thing, but I'm actually just really just talking about going back to establishing the same type of moral tempo that we had for the first couple hundred years as a nation. And, and things, I think certainly we're, we're going much better than, than they are now. And there's an appetite for that because there is all of this rampant social chaos. And the boomer conservatives, I think they wanted to kind of keep the moral tempo, but intellectualize it more, remove the actual ritual, the participation in faith. And I think we've seen that that, that experiment really didn't work. So let's go back to basics. Let's go back to just participating and operating as a, as a proper Christian nation. Thank you, Aunt David Constantine, for your thoughts on the show. Now, civilization is losing the fight against chaos and lawlessness. Now, we also see a situation um, where contempt for the law promotes lawlessness that undermines democracy. And this is precisely what is happening in America. Um, Daniel, um, can America can they ever get it right? Yeah, oh, I think absolutely. I mean, you know, chaos. Chaos, really, nobody's really happy with chaos. They think that they are, but but what you find is that once you get into that, you're just you're just perpetually agitated. And I think getting people back, and now the country is very different than it used to be. Demographics have been dramatically shifted. A lot of that is the result of direct political uh, objectives. And you know, that is a very cynical thing that has occurred in the United States and much of Western Europe. Um, so let's let's come together on what the consensus is. Consensus is 70 plus percent of the country identifies as Christian. And so let's kind of, let's orient around that and let's start putting the country back in that direction. So when we do that, I think that this rest of this stuff sort of falls in place. So, you know, the aspect of, I mean, I can tell you, I live in Miami. Miami's pretty wild city. Everything that kind of you think of when you talk about the expansion of chaos is, is going on here. But that by itself, I feel very safe walking the streets. I don't, I don't ever feel like concerned for my physical well-being, but I recognize obviously that I'm living in a very degenerate environment. So I think that the, the rhetoric gets put a lot on like uh, the physical safety. And, you know, I, I sort of push back that it's not that physically safe. It's not really and certainly we have to obviously protect citizens, very important. But the bigger issue, I think let's have a more honest conversation. Let's really talk about what it is that we're responding to. We're responding to the atmosphere of the cities, the atmosphere 
of our country. And we recognize that, you know, this isn't an environment that we feel comfortable bringing children around. And it's become so invasive that you really don't have an opportunity to separate your children from it unless you really want to disconnect from the civilization altogether. And this is something that's also very concerning to me because I am seeing a sort of uh, depression occurring on the right wing, that they're retreating from the cities, retreating from the places of commerce, sort of call it flyover country. These are just kind of the parts of the map in the country where the population is less dense and it's generally more conservative. I don't want us to go into that and like separate from the civilization. I want us to reclaim it. You know, I want us to um, in, invigorate it and bring that light of Christ into our city. So the cities need to be cleaned up, but a lot of it is visual. And I sort of joke, Ron DeSantis, my governor, his slogan is, Florida is where woke goes to die, uh, whatever that means. Uh, yeah, I live in Miami and the walls are literally covered in graffiti and uh, wall to wall graffiti. And it's, it's here, it's actually been embraced. So these are actually street artists that are being paid for this. And so the cities are covered in uh, very powerful, invasive visual imagery and, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you've got to actually look at. It's really, it's the culture is really what people are upset about. And this is my big issue with conservatism because they are always complaining, but they're never actually willing to solve things. So if you're not willing to solve things, you kind of have to either eat it or kind of shut up and deal with it. So it's not healthy to me to spend every night turning on the TV and looking at how degenerate the cities are if you're not willing to impose meaningful standards on Hollywood, on the entertainment industry. So that's my big differentiator. I'm not afraid at all to engage with Hollywood, the entertainment community. I think we, the people, have every right to change laws if they're not sufficient adequately, excuse me, to say that actually, no, a handful of people working in Hollywood don't get to dictate their values to the American people. We're actually going to dictate our values to you, and we're going to expect you to um, be representative of that. So that's one of my things is, first and foremost, all work has got to glorify God. It's very simple. You, you can keep the beats. Uh, if you want to talk about how beautiful a woman is, I mean, that's fine, but put some respect on it. Keep it oriented around respect and love of God. So, so when we set that as our tempo and we make that an actual firm requirement for the culture, that's going to be really, that's going to billow out and, and have a really powerful lasting impact. And if you're not willing to do that, you're just in the business of complaining about things. Thank you once again, Gabriel Constantine, for your time. I wish you best of luck in your political ambition and all the projects that you embark upon. Thank you very much. Does that mean I, I talked your ear off? You've, you've had enough of me? Yes. Now, we want to uh, quickly round up. I'd like you to talk more about the issues that are confronting the United States. How do you hope to address this in the nice future? Sure. Well, you, first off, we've got to reinvest in the social infrastructure. So one of my unique programs is I want to extend paid maternity leave from six months to 18 years. So something very subtle that's occurred in kind of convincing all of our women that they ought to be competing against men in the workplace, we've very, uh, it's been very sneaky because what we've done is we've moved the American dream. We've moved the goalpost on the American people from what it used to be, which was that 
one father um, working an honest job 40 hours a week is able to provide a house for his wife and his children. And now what we've done is we've actually got the husband and the wife competing each against each other in the workplace. And we've sort of created now we're actually, that's not sufficient. So, so one guy working 40 hours a week, that's not necessarily enough to fulfill the American dream. So now we sort of need two breadwinners in most cases. So I want to remove that pressure. So what I want to do is create a sort of intact family credit. So if the mother and the father of the children stay together, I want to make it much easier for the mother to stay at home and raise the children and for the father to work to keep that family going. So that's the type of program. Yeah, it has a cost, but that cost is revenue neutral, if not revenue positive, because when you actually look at the math, you look at these things, what we find is that children raised in that environment, raised in a traditional biblical model, are exponentially more likely to end up being actual positive contributors into the economy versus actually ending up on the other end of the spectrum where they're incarcerated and they're costing the taxpayers. So we want to sort of em embrace that and, and reorganize, not just deactivate the things, because currently our tax incentives are actually designed to encourage things that are destructive. And this is where the cynical nature of the Democrat Party is really very evident. They're actually, they've been investing in the opposite. They've been investing in dysfunctional single parent homes. They've been prioritizing that nationally. This is a very sick and evil thing. So the Republican response generally has been, okay, let's deactivate that. Let's go to sort of neutrality. And I think neutrality is great when your country is humming and going in the right direction. But I think that we're at a point right now where we actually need some reinforcement. And I'm not afraid to do that. So a lot of my programs are going to be aimed at doing that. So that, again, that fixes a lot of things. Certainly, it's going to help the economy. It's going to help the livability of the cities. It's going to help crime. It's going to help all of these things. So what, what you'll find with my policy ideas is that it's a, it's a more holistic approach. And what I try and be, if I'm nothing else, is I try and be consistent with my ideas and my, my organizing principle, which is that we actually need to help and restore and bring things together. So there's a lot of things on my platform. As I said, these are very, very progressive things. So healthcare, this is a big one for me. Everybody's got to have healthcare. If you're paying taxes uh, or you're in a family, you're contributing into the country, this is a very normal thing for citizens to expect in exchange for that. It's not a fundamental right, but paved roads aren't a fundamental right. A military isn't a, a fundamental right, but we choose things. We prioritize. And for me, knowing that my parents could go to the hospital if they got sick and not lose their house as a result of the exorbitant costs, that's actually like on the top of my list. That's actually ahead of paved roads for me. So, so this is something where Republicans have stonewalled on that issue, and it's done a real disservice because we've made it seem this sort of, oh, if you go that direction, you end up in Venezuela. And it's, no, this is actually just very normal and basic. So things like that I want to, I want to do. I also want to improve the quality of food. I think that there's a lot of really sick and toxic things present in the way that we consume, specifically the way that we treat livestock. Yeah, and I think that some of this kind of, uh, yeah, some of these changes, if we were to kind of require that livestock be traded with some basic level of uh, humaneness and respect, that might make it harder to drive through McDonald's and get a McDouble for $1.99. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, recognize that that this is a very, we've come a very far away from when we look at 
the Garden of Eden, and we look at that as our model being stewards over the country, there's there's a disconnect where we're essentially just you know breeding animals to terrorize them from the time they're born to the time they're dead. Let's put some respect back into that. So this will maybe create more plant-based diets, which is probably a pretty positive thing because that is much more energy efficient. And you know, I do think, and believe me, I love a very nice steak. I love a nice lean fresh piece of fish. Uh, and I, I think that it's important for that to be something special. And there is a cost attached to that. And sitting down at a table together with your family and, and praying over that before you consume that meal, slowing down and doing this, this driving through things and getting $2 McDoubles, this is just not good on a number of levels. So it's just kind of a totally new way of looking at things. And I think that it's going to over time, address things and, and sort of correct them because things are much more interconnected than they appear. So if you focus just kind of on, on one particular issue, let's look at the whole thing. The whole thing isn't working. We have a huge national debt overheads. This creates a type of crises that we're looking at currently. Uh, you know, you, you can't, it's kind of inflation, interest rates, you're playing a game here where you're taking from Peter to pay Paul. Eventually there's consequences. Now we have a situation where bonds are just losses. And you know, what do you do with that? You got to do something. You just put a band-aid, kick the can down the road. So the economics, yeah, that's that's important. To me, the economics though, like that's the result. That's the like net result of how your country is operating. So rather than like just looking at just the economy, I want to look at the big picture and getting the type of country that's healthy and sustainable on a number of different levels. And that eventually is going to alleviate that, that debt, which to my mind is sort of like this physical representation of God's judgment looming over the country. It's just all of our degeneracy, all of our dysfunctional behaviors and choices, it's just building up into this big, massive debt. And we know that eventually this thing's going to go off and have major consequences. And we're stuck in this mode of kicking the can down the road until we actually, again, turn the tide. That's what we have to do. We have to turn the tide, put the country in a new direction, not just slow the trends, just create something totally different to orient the country towards, bring the country together, create a new national majority. And as I'm saying, I mean, there's a lot of Republicans that can't stand me. Uh, and I interacted with many of them at CPAC a few weeks ago. I don't really care. I don't really care about them. You don't get it, you know, that's fine. Talk to me at the end of the primaries. Talk to me when we've secured the nomination and we're going into the general election. And certainly there is a percentage, a faction of the Democrat Party platform that is obsessed with pushing sodomy on children. And, you know, if that's your biggest issue, you're never going to be a Constantine voter. And I'm perfectly fine with that. But I also think that there's a lot of people in the Democrat Party platform that have very basic blue collar concerns and they're being held hostage by this issue. So I want to really kind of free them. I want to free the people from both parties by pointing to them and saying, hey, is this your issue? Because if that's your issue, Democrats, uh, you're dealing with a Republican that's offering your blue collar base virtually everything that they've asked for from a pocketbook perspective. And if that's your hill to die on it, then own that topic. But there's going to be consequences of that. And this is going to remake the board in American politics because it's something totally new. Now, I was on the phone last night. Someone was called last night. 
voters call me all the time. I'm asleep last night. People are out in Los Angeles. They call me. Young ladies telling me, I actually don't know her age, but just called me and told me, you should be running independent. You should be running independent so that you don't get branded as this or that. Whatever. That's fine. Here's how I look at it. You know, there's a party that's sitting here and it has the resources needed to win elections. So I'm not going to sit here and you know, try and make a little independent party and get two to three percent of the vote and maybe undercut. There. No, I'm just going to look at the party that's sitting there that maybe isn't functioning at a proper level and lay siege to it and then take those resources to take the country uh, in that new direction. So that's the, the pragmatic approach. That's the reason why I'm going Republican. That's what I registered as when I'm 16. So for better or worse, that's what I am. But this is a totally new thing. And I think that's what the country needs, because that's the only way that we really break apart the gridlock, unless one of the two sides just completely clobbers the other side into submission. So I think that this is maybe the last opportunity we can just make something different and create a new dynamic and remake the, the game. All right, Daniel, my audience would like to learn more about you. Can you share your website and your platforms to us? Yeah, yeah. So not, not on the social media stuff. I'm just not really a big fan of it. So you can find me on my website. That's how I engage with people. Go to my official campaign website, Constantine2024.com. If I have something to say, I'll put out a press release. I'm old fashioned that way. So uh, yeah, reach out, join up, join the email list. And yeah, it's my pleasure to engage with the American people and really excited about getting my message out. We're going to be looking into Iowa. That's the first. They have the Iowa caucus. So that's the first state that we're going to be having the primaries. And that's a very critical state for me. And that's a state that has a, a long history of actually uh, creating surprising results. So we're starting with that. We're looking at Iowa and New Hampshire essentially as must wins for us because we do expect by the time we get into fundraising, we expect that certainly we'll probably be, be outspent by both Trump and DeSantis. So we've got to have that, that momentum out of Iowa and New Hampshire. We've got to do very well. We want to win both of those states. And then from there, we're going to be competitive to Super Tuesday and through the rest of the process. That's a vlog once again, um, Darren. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this show. It's really been a worthwhile time having Darren Constantine share his um, thoughts on the topic of discussion, especially on his political ambition as um, the future president in the year 2024. I can only wish you the best of luck once again going forward. God bless you. You're such a lovely, charming lady. Such a pleasure to be on your program. And I also want to thank your assistant, Shirley, for making this happen. A uh, very charming person as well. So thank you to your audience and, and God bless everyone. Okay. Have a nice okay. weekend. All right. Thank you so much once again, Daryl. Now, if you like to catch up with any missed episodes of the show, you can do so on any cross-promotion platform on Super Pinto Online and you have an amazing time. Till I come away, I need you to be good with all my love, my taxon. Bye for now.